Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of We Earth Radio, where we have conversations that make a difference. We're committed to bringing you leading edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. In our programs, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Welcome, welcome everyone to We Earth Radio, where we have conversations that make a difference. And the person I have on today is making a huge difference in the world. And I am so excited about his new book, Healing Collective Trauma, a process for integrating our intergenerational and cultural wounds. It may be the most hopeful book I've read in decades. Thomas Hubel is a modern mystic, a spiritual teacher whose work integrates the core insights of the great wisdom traditions with the discoveries of contemporary science, illuminating both with his profound understanding. Thomas's teachings offer a unique approach for living as a mystic in the marketplace of human activity. His work combines somatic awareness, practices, advanced meditative practice, a sophisticated analysis of cultural architecture and guides practitioners towards a deeper level of self-awareness from an ego-centered worldview to a life of authentic expression, service, and alignment. Thomas, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Michael. I'm happy to be back and be with you again. So thank you for having me. Yeah, your book comes out tomorrow, actually. And That's I had right. A, I had a galley and I just couldn't put it down. It kept me up at night. It is such a profound and hopeful book. And at the same time, when people hear the word trauma, it's one of those words they want to turn away from, you know, kind of like responsibility in some ways. Maybe we can start out with just defining what is trauma and distinguish between individual and collective, like intergenerational, ancestral, historical types of trauma. Yeah, first of all, thank you. Yes, trauma is usually connected to horrible events, very difficult circumstances, wars, accidents, and uh, abuse, and all kinds of criminal uh, incidents. But let's start deeper. So when we talk about trauma, we talk about something that happens within us or while we are going through a seemingly overwhelming event. So there's an overwhelming impact and that overwhelming impact creates two things, a high level of stress. So if I can, I will fight or flight, run away. And if it's even more overwhelming, I'll freeze. And our nervous systems over a very long time, millions of years, actually developed that process. And we see this in animals, we see this in us. So it's an evolutionary function. It's a function of protection. And it's a function of dealing with really overwhelming situations and trying to survive better, basically. And so there's a tremendous amount of stress and overloading experience. So the nervous system can numb and dissociate from or split off the part that is super 
overwhelmed. You see, we see this sometimes in people that uh, go through an accident and they are shocked. It's like the person is maybe even badly injured, but almost has no pain and is not so affected. I mean, it's very affected, but is it? It doesn't. He, he or she doesn't show signs equivalent to the injury that the person has. Yeah. And so that that function in various uh, degrees of severity or or whatever intensity happen throughout various different traumatic events. So the first thing, the more universal part is hyperactivation, numbness, disembodiment. And if we have the circumstances that we can integrate this short after we experience that, where there are skilled people that can help us, there's appropriate relation there, you know, there's like there's a caring context. So we reduce the effects, the after effects of trauma. If not, they stay frozen. I sometimes compare this with like you see a crazy scene on the TV and then it's so noisy that you mute your TV and you still see the scene. And then you take the TV and you throw it in the ocean, into the ocean. And as it sinks down to the bottom of the ocean, at a certain moment, you will not see the TV anymore, but it's still going on. So our oceans are full of TV sets that are still showing the scenes that were overwhelming, especially when you think of the Second World War, Holocaust, slavery, and all kinds of massive genocides like in Rwanda, like there are deep impacts. So that's what we usually understand when we look at trauma. But we always come back to that um, universal process within our nervous systems and our bodies. Now, there, there are those shock trauma situations, but our whole attachment process how we learn to relate in life as, as in utero, as babies, as children, how we grow up in this world has a different kind of trauma potential because through neglect or abuse or overwhelming recurrent moments like domestic violence or like even a strong or like a severe misattunement to the child, it is already very disturbing for a child, depending on the age. So there's a whole series of attachment traumatizations that we know that are not those severe circumstances sometimes, like a war, but they're equally painful and traumatizing for small kids. And then we go back, because usually when that happens in a family, the parents carry some sort of trauma and that's, that's coming through the ancestors. So if our parents, our grandparents, our grand-grandparents went through traumatic situations, we see that even now in, in the latest scientific research, we see epigenetic changes of people that pass the trauma on to the next generation, like the trauma in the sense of more stress receptors, more like people, the next generation has similar trauma symptoms without even their own biography uh, showing the trauma. And then I decide, I discern 
two more levels. Like, so there's the intergenerational or transgenerational trauma transmission. Then there is historic traumatization, a big part of society going through a trauma together. That's kind of a tribal trauma response, like bombs falling onto a city or something like this. And, um, and then um, a friend of mine, Christina Bethel, who teaches at Johns Hopkins University, she is deeply into trauma research scientifically, and she works a lot for the ACES study, Adverse Childhood Experiences. And she says that, um, that 66%, let's say, of the US population is traumatized, and the rest of the population is affected by the trauma of the 66%. So basically, trauma is a syndemic, like a systemic issue that um, we are all affected by it. And, and so when I wrote the book, I, through my coursework and through many, many workshops and then through many, many specific workshops, I studied it. And that's also what I came to see and understand is that we are living in a world that has been traumatized again and again, periodically, over thousands and thousands of years. So trauma is actually something we have been born into as a systemic effect. And we, we don't know the world without trauma. So we are basically all affected by it somehow. And so collective trauma is that systemic effect that, um, that concerns all of us in one way or the other, let's say. It's like we're fished and we don't realize we're in an ocean, uh, kind of a sea of trauma. One of the things that I really love about your work is recognizing the nervous system as a very positive, helpful friend that, in fact, a lot of these dissociated parts, soul loss, whatever you want to call it, suppressed trauma parts of us that are fragmented and suppressed in our body were the wisdom of the nervous system. And so many people have this idea that I'm broken and I need to be fixed instead of that very intelligent nervous system protected us in a time of survival. Can you expand on that? That's so beautifully put the way you put it. I just want to underline it because often we run around with this idea, oh, I'm broken, I'm broken, I'm dysfunctional, and these are my weaknesses, and I still have those patterns. Yeah, who says still? Why still? Because exactly as you said, we, we all needed to put more or less defense patterns in place to protect ourselves. Because if a child that is, has been neglected by the parents, where the parents didn't take care properly, the child is very scared and stressed alone. Mm -hmm. And if nobody is there to care for the child, so the child needs to hold itself inside. And then we contract like our pelvis, we contract our bellies, we, 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 we manage that tension and fear. And after, if that's chronic, so that management becomes a chronic inner state. So we could say as a grown-up, if, if I have a hard time taking decisions, if I'm getting often scared, if I'm not the outgoing successful guy or woman, so then maybe I'm not so strong. 
But that's not true. My strength is in managing the fear. And so I see the symptoms later in my life of a very intelligent process that as a one-year-old child was absolutely needed and was absolutely the most intelligent thing that I could do. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. So as you said, the, because our nervous system is not just 20, 40, 60, or 80 years old, our nervous system is hundreds of thousands or millions of years old. There's a lot of wisdom. So many generations of life went through adverse situations through very traumatizing moments. So many generations tried to heal themselves and also heal themselves through all kinds of modalities over the thousands of years. And so we are not the first ones. And that information is stored, as, as you said, as wisdom in our bodies, in our nervous systems. And often, I believe in our current worldview, we see ourselves way too personal. It feels like a person is a separate particle. Whereas we could say an individual is a specific expression of the whole that's different. I'm not a separate particle. I'm interdependent. I'm part of nature. I'm part of the planet. I'm part of life on the planet. I'm part of humanity. I'm part of all of it, basically. And I cannot exist alone. Nobody can exist alone. There is no such a thing as alone. And... I can feel alone, but I don't exist alone. Because even now, as the two of us are talking, I exist in you because you listen to me and you exist in me because I listen to you and I look at you. So my nervous system has a Michael inside. The Michael that I see is in my perception and the Thomas you see is in your perception. So I'm sitting over here as a body, as emotions, as thoughts and expressions, as a person. But... In you, I'm perception. So I exist in both. So we are all interdependent. And that's why I wanted to write a book on collective trauma because there are already fantastic, there is already fantastic research and there are so many fantastic books about trauma. And I wanted to um, show also the systemic effect, what many of us being affected by trauma um, and expressing those inner defense mechanisms, what that means for relationships, what that means for parenting, what that means for our societal functions, so that we create education systems, health systems, business systems, uh, ecological understanding that is partly informed by that kind of syndemic, uh, like a systems epidemic, like a syndemic um, uh, trauma field. Mm -hmm. And I believe if we become more aware of the trauma field, we will learn to work with it. And we will turn sometimes the hostility or the inner criticism that we carry towards ourselves into, we will transform that into self-care, self-love, and also be in that relation with others in the same way. So... I love that. What came up for me, I was thinking about indigenous tribes often had rites of passage and initiation, which was one of the ways they dealt with trauma and the growth and the healing. And then I thought about animals, when they have trauma, other than human animals, they shake it off. And so 
there's a lot that happens. Maybe everything begins in the body. And I'd love to hear how this trauma is an embodied event and how things really initiate in the body. Yeah, often we start off with understanding. So it seems like that more and more scientific research and that more and more rational understanding shows us the intensity of what trauma uh, does within our physical, emotional, mental experiences. We see how it affects our relations. We see, like, we, I think that that becomes more and more common knowledge that there is something like trauma. Mm -hmm. And, um, and now when we look closer, so from that mental understanding, I can know that I have been traumatized, but that knowing doesn't yet help me to heal. So I, I need my knowing needs to become also an emotional and physical understanding. And when we look inside, then we see that trauma, as I said before, creates always a split like a fracture or a fragmentation in the nervous system. And in, so it fragments the physical, emotional, and mental coherence. Coherence means that my mind, my emotions, and my body work as one unit. It's one data flow. When there is trauma, then the data flow gets disrupted. So then we say sometimes, oh, my solar plexus is tight. Oh, I don't feel my body below my belly, or I, whenever I talk about this, I'm really, really stressed. So we see that, that even sometimes thinking of certain things brings forth in our bodies high levels of stress. And then we say, oh, that situation stressed me. And I would say, no, that situation only shows you the level of stress you carry inside 24 7. Mm -hmm. That stress is there all the time, but the awareness of the of the person is not in that part of the nervous system. So there might be a room that is full of stuff, but as long as you don't open the door, you don't see what's inside. And some triggering moments, some a person says something critical or something happens in society, and suddenly we feel the stress and the fear and the shame that is stored in our nervous systems already maybe for decades. And then when we look at physical disorders, we say, oh, why does that happen to me? Yeah, but after many years of carrying so much stress unconsciously in the system, so, ma so many fears stored in the body, tensions, muscle tensions. So that fragmentation I often say trauma is a loan that we take from the future. And from that moment on, I'm burning what I call trauma fuel. I'm burning more energy than I actually have. Because we, our energy is, is coming up through our expression, our creativity, our intelligence, our participation, naturally. Mm -hmm. But when traumatized, I'm either too fast and too much out there or I'm too much back and both burns more energy than my sustainable expression. So we, the, the fragmentation inside leads also to the fact that I can say things that I don't feel. And that's so widespread 
we grew up in a world where what we heard and what we felt were often two different things. Somebody says A, but the body and the emotions say B. Hmm. So as a child growing up in that world, and I see that in my parents, maybe in my grandparents and my teachers, so what should I believe? Should I believe what my mind hears or what my body feels? And that's how we transmit that inner split to the next generation, because the next generation learns from our splits inside. So that's why that question is really important, because one of the fundamental symptoms of trauma is separation, the sense of feeling separate, and the incoherence of the mind with nature, basically, with emotions and the body. Mm -hmm. So then we see a society where sometimes the mind floats on top of nature, and that's how we can also destroy nature, because if I don't feel the decisions, if I just think them, then my mind is not anymore a function of nature. It becomes actually a dissociated function that can do a lot of harm because we don't feel what we decide. And I think that's really one of the big contributors to our climate crisis, the, the severe level of disembodiment, the numbing of our physical bodies. Yeah, absolutely. My whole journey started as uh, working on climate, climate issues. My station, my program has been all about that. And it went from climate to climate justice, to social justice, to spiritual. And now I'm really moved by your work. One of the words you use is that we've normalized this pathology, that we put money ahead of life, that we can take children away from their parents and just leave them, that, you know, the genocides that we create. And uh, that's uh, uh, obviously from that shutting down. Um, and when you talk about stress, 60 to 90%, I think, of all illness is, re is stress-related. And yet the definition of stress is kind of like saying, I'm sick, or do you have a cold or do you have cancer? It doesn't really say anything. And what I see in what you're saying is that stress is related to our capacity to hold things and literally our physical capacity, because if we're using all that energy to keep those traumas down, those fragmented parts down, it's no wonder that we've kind of made it look like, oh, I want to get back to make America great again. I want to get back to normal. Your thoughts about that? Yeah. First of all, it's so also widespread. A, a simple example, let's say, a young child, four years old, comes to the parents and say, mommy or daddy, I'm really scared. Mm -hmm. And then when there's seemingly no rational reason for it, often parents might say, oh, don't be scared. It's, it's okay. It's okay. And that simple action creates like an emotional distance because I tell to my child, don't feel what you feel. Don't be scared. Yeah, but I am scared. If I am now the child, I'm saying, I am scared. Why are you telling me I, I shouldn't be scared? I am. I'm feeling something. So <clears throat> don't be scared. Everything's okay. The other, I think, more skillful parenting intervention would be, oh, Michael, I feel you're scared. Come, come to me. Let's have a look together. 
Mm -hmm. What did I do? I created, I felt you. And if I really feel that you are scared, so I felt you and I see, oh yeah, you're really scared. So my physical body, my nervous system is um, Steve Porges says the polyvagal theory. In his polyvagal theory, he describes the, the co-regulative part or the neuroception as it's called, that creates immediately safety. So when the parent says, oh, I feel you're scared, we create emotional resonance, we create closeness. I indicate to you that I understand your emotional state and not only understand, I feel it. And then I say, okay, so let's have a look at this together, which means we are together in that. And I apply my parental leadership because my child needs an orientation. I cannot just say because I don't think that there is a danger, that there is no, for you, something disturbed you. And so I need to pay attention to that. So even if it's not my experience, I need to pay attention to that. And so we are living also in, in, in a society where sometimes that works really well and we are emotionally, physically, and mentally attuned. You're also not saying just be emotionally and physically attuned. No, thinking is great. If thinking is a servant of, of life, it's great. And if it's, it's connected to the rest of life. So then philosophy and science and all the, the great capacities of our minds are fantastic. But when we, as you said, when we want to go back, like let's, let's make America great again, is also where are we actually going back to? And now here's a, an important distinction that I make also in the book is for me and I believe for the kind of inner science or mystical science, we look a little bit different at time. Because I would say integrated history is presence. Integrated history is what is here now. These are all the structures of consciousness that can have this conversation right now. That's present. That's what's happening now. But unintegrated history, like the... 400 years of slavery or the Holocaust or whatever, the Rwandan genocide, so much pain has been unintegrated. And when it's unintegrated, it's bound to repeat itself somehow. So it creates symptoms. So what we, in fact, can only come back to is the unintegrated past because otherwise we are just here, we are present. But in presence... The future is not necessarily tomorrow or in a week from now, because I can be do the same patterns also tomorrow and run the same patterns also a week from now or a year from now. How often do we have the same relationship arguments over and over again? So that's not the future. That's the repetition of the past. As Otto Chama puts it beautifully, in the deep presence, the future is like a well the higher consciousness is being born in present. That's different than many people think about the future. Mm -hmm. And in the book, I also describe something that I think is a challenging thought, but in the mystical science, that's a deep principle of healing is like physics calls this retrocausality. So that the future has the power to rewrite the past. Mm -hmm. 
The future has the power to heal the past, yes, but also rewrite the past, change the past. I love that retrocausality. The the whole theme of that is so amazing and and working itself out in physics as well as the kind of thing that you're talking about. Exactly. And that's a, a very interesting understanding because it means when when what happens when when somebody goes through a real healing process, it means that we reintegrate that unintegrated past. Because otherwise it, we have fears, we have thoughts, we have body sensations or other emotions when where we are numb simply because this we replay the past, but we experience this in many life situations where we are actually not present because of being entangled or identified with those emotions. But when we learn to integrate those and not try to get rid of them, actually take them in more. Like get to know my inner world, then I can integrate that past. But when I integrate the past, the energy of the past gets digested, integrated, and becomes my learning. So first point, I learn something new by integrating my trauma. There's a, there's a post-traumatic growth. Like I, I learn something when I give myself to this and I look at it. And the second thing, the past that was stored in my body, in my emotions, or in the collective body, actually, when it's integrated, disappears. So there is no back, first of all, because now I'm more here. So the, what former was back, again, I experience often fears. Once those fears are integrated, I won't experience them anymore so much as I did before. The other thing is that when, when we heal something, there's always like a grounding movement, like I'm able to be more present in life. There is a potential opening so that I, I open up my future even more. And there's a ripple effect because my ancestors are also connected to the parts in me that need healing. Because I'm not the first one here. I, I'm, I have been born into a context genetically family-wise, like emotionally, socially, time, the time that we live in, the, this moment in, in human history. So all of this is a context, which includes my, 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 all my ancestors. So my ancestors were maybe partly traumatized. That's why I experienced certain things in my family. But if I heal everything that's connected to it also gets the impulse of healing that I went through. And that's amazing. And that's also what we see in many families. Usually somebody in a family system comes to one of our workshops. And so, and if the person has a deeper healing that happens, often then later we see the parents come, their siblings come and, or, you know, that the family members come because something started to move, especially when people are genetically connected, like in, 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 in poor families, the healing starts a systems change. Yeah. So that's really powerful. So I think that's also yeah. very promising that we... Very promising. Yeah. And, and oftentimes they don't even have to come because it's the system. People start getting better inside the system because other people are doing the work. It's, it's quite amazing. I want to tell our listeners a few 
just tuned in. I'm speaking with Thomas Huber, contemporary mystic and teacher about his new book, Healing Collective Trauma, a process for integrating our intergenerational and cultural wounds. I want to talk a little bit about the path of the mystic, because my understanding is that the mystic uses every encounter, every disappointment, every challenge, every difficulty as a portal or an access to developing that healing and that expanded capacity. Can you expand on that, please? Yeah, in fact, that's, uh, that's very true, as you put it. You know, my inner fragmentation will lead to the fact that certain parts in life are comfortable for me and other parts are less comfortable for me. And I'm not talking now about criminal situations or situations where we really need protection, like extreme stuff, but daily situations. So I might have the tendency to try to avoid the discomfort and to just have the comfort. And in the, in the wisdom traditions, like many of the sages and the saints, of course, found out that every time I meet a challenge and I really meet it, I meet a part of myself that is not fully integrated. I meet a part of myself where I'm absent. I meet a part of myself where I might feel regressive or I feel fears or I feel stuff that doesn't actually fit to the current situation, but it seems so real that it's true in the current situation. When we wanna become more whole, it doesn't, I often say, like living that split is that you can always walk only on one side of the street. So you can only go to the shops on this side of the street, but in case it happens that the shop that you're looking for is on the other side of the street, you will never get there because you always need to be here. I don't want to feel shame. I don't want to feel fear. I don't want to feel anger. Like I just want to feel comfortable. In the, in the wisdom traditions, skillfully and appropriately, we are expanding our radius and we say, wow, if I meet a person that I don't like, if I meet a person that triggers me, if I have situations in my life that trigger me, then within that situation is a teaching, is a teacher. And that teacher's message I will only get if I relate to the challenge. That's why my definition of resilience is the capacity to stay related to challenging moments. Our resilience as humanity to meet the climate crisis is the capacity that we have to stay related to the natural, like the change in the natural world in nature, to the change that is needed in, in humanity, and that we all together, more and more of us, will want to find a solution or solutions to meet that crisis. And it's going to be be a global effort because it's a global issue. So it creates global coherence in the best sense. And if not, it creates global disruption. So the, the mystical path also says when I face a challenge, I bring my inner resources into the challenge. If I try to avoid a challenge, I actually pull my intelligence out of it. And that makes it even harder because the challenge is in my life already. It's not that I can choose, oh, I choose that challenge. No, usually it's already here and I'm kind of struggling with it. 
So that's, I think that's one thing. And then the second step is that I, I like, like the commitment to a certain practice. I mean, you, you might've heard me say that, that if I commit that every day in my evening, I will take at least five minutes and look at one moment during my day where I felt discomfort, where I got triggered, where I had a difficult moment with a person or like a situation in my life, in my business, whatever. And then I sit down and I turn my attention in, inwardly and I, I check in in a slower motion how that, that situation feels in my body, what did I feel emotionally? What did I think about the situation? So I started a reflective process. Did I feel withdrawn? Did I feel open? And so every time we have difficult situations, we actually say what I felt within the situation is difficult. Maybe we had a board meeting or a team meeting. Somebody said something and I felt really ashamed. And then I say, wow, it was a difficult meeting because I, did, I, I contracted and I felt the same. Yeah, I didn't have a difficult meeting. I had a meeting where I felt shame. And I don't want to feel shame. So it's difficult because I need to contract and, and, and avoid the shame. And then I walk away and I think a lot about the meeting and it walks with me. But then I am not anymore fully present with the situations that I experience after the team meeting, because I keep thinking about the person and what he or she said. And so um, when we meet challenges, I think we show more and more, and I'm not talking about, because trauma can also lead to the fact that some people become kind of overly courageous, but actually they hurt themselves very often because people don't feel the danger that they get themselves into. I'm not talking about that. That's another symptom of trauma that sometimes because we don't feel ourselves, we do things that are actually really dangerous and we lose our sense of danger. That's the other spectrum or the other pole of the situation. But I'm talking about facing more and more the challenges, which says, that I'm really willing to feel the full spectrum of what it means to be a human being. The last thing maybe is also something that I come across very often. We see quite an amount of people have this idea that when I'm on a self-development path, the aim is to not have fear anymore. So where does the idea come from that the aim is to be fearless. It's something that has been entertained over thousands of years that that's kind of the ultimate, but where does it come from? And then we see often because we are, it's so hard for us to feel a certain amount of fear, the dissociation creates an ideal of not having any instead of having the appropriate fear that might fit to a dangerous situation or that is a kind of an adaptive function in my system. So coming to that middle way means I can choose if I wanna walk on the right side or the left side of the street. And I will meet whatever I meet there, but I'm free to move in life. And like this, I expand the radius of my creative movement in the world.
it's like it gets us off the hamster wheel of I, everything is going to be good as soon as I get this or I have that or I meet this person, I get married, divorced, whatever. It's always out there. And we're not only stuck in time in that way. And I, I think you said something about destiny is our frozen past. So relieving that. One of the things that I particularly wanted to talk about, it seems to me that all suffering has its roots in this Newtonian, Cartesian, mechanistic, dualistic paradigm that is embedded in our language, in our schools, and in our institutions, that I'm an object in a world of objects and that sense of separation. And I'd love it if you would talk about that and also your sense of the spiritual law of not to. Right. Yeah, you said it also, um, that trauma creates often for many people a sense of isolation, especially when I get, tri get triggered in my pre-traumatized parts. So then I feel isolated, I feel separate, and, and I feel alone, withdrawn, numb. And when that happens, then and that happens systemically, then one thing that we accepted is the myth of separation because it's, it's epidemic, it's kind of all over. So there is a sense that separation seems to be real when in fact separation are the fragmentations and fractures that we carry within our nervous systems and that gives us the sense of feeling separate, not that separation is real. And that sense, that shared sense, is the basis of racism, othering, polarization, so many of inequalities, so many of the cultural symptoms that we see actually go back to that root. And that was also another reason why I wrote this book, because I wanted to show that at the root, of our experience of the world is a sense of separation that is an effect of trauma. As you said before, once we notice that we are wounded, let's say I walk around with a big injury on my arm and then I come to you and I say, Michael, Michael, I'm suffering. Like I have these strong inflammations and I need to take tons of antibiotics. And you say to me, Thomas, you need to take care of your arm. Like your arm is, you need to go to the doctor and they need to take care and you get a, a band-aid or, you know, take care of the wound. And I tell you, which, what kind of wound? And you say, yeah, on your arm, like your whole arm is bleeding or is wounded. I'm not surprised that you have all these uh, inflammations. And so when we call once, because we have been born into this world, we call trauma normal, it becomes it, be, it becomes a wound that is normalized that we don't know that we have. And then we suffer the infections and then the side effects and sometimes the life-endangering side effects of untaking care wounds because trauma is a wound. And trauma needs to be taken care as a wound. It needs some treatment. And there are ways how specialists can take care of trauma and there are ways how we can build collective competences, how to take care of trauma. And we need both 
in order to take care of it well. And so when we come to the separation, if like one of the symptoms of that untaking care wound is separation, but I got to know this world is real. I say, yeah, but that's the world. That's the way the world is. And I say, no, it's not the way the world is. It's the way the world is if a lot of pain is muted. If there are, if there are a lot of TVs on the floor of the ocean and they are still displaying the painful moments, even if they happened two generations ago or four generations ago, but we don't hear them. The fact that we don't hear them doesn't mean that they're not real. And we see many societal symptoms of that. And then we call those symptoms polarization. We call it racism. Yeah, but at the, at the root of it is actually a deep pain and a deep wounding that happened. And if we don't take care of that wounding, we will keep on trying to put out the fires because we are dealing with the symptoms. So one capacity to develop individually and collectively is to not get entangled in the symptoms and more and more get to the root of the symptoms. That's one thing. That's an awareness process. And the other part is that, that I believe at the base of every traumatization is an ethical restoration, or at least in many cases. So because most of the trauma has been inflicted by humans, to other humans, you take a war, if you take slavery, if you take severe kind of structural violence, if you take dictatorships and suppressions and all kinds of stuff that happens, and then let alone what happens often in family systems. But there is a transgression of the deep ethical principles. But what are ethical principles? Ethical principles are the power to preserve life and to ensure, for example, ethical parenting means that we ensure a karma-free or a low karma dose from one generation to the next. And if those principles are not being kept or hurt, it will create suffering. So suffering is always when we transgress what we call the inner law of life, when we transgress, when we hurt each other, when we lie to each other, when we cheat each other, when we all kinds of things, then we actually hurt life or when we kill each other, we hurt life and then it needs a, a repair, it needs a restoration. And that restoration might happen three generations later or five generations later. And until then we call it suffering because we will see individual symptoms in all of our lives that are actually attempts of life to restore something. But often we don't know what's, what's the point, what should we restore? And so when we heal trauma, we often find that once there's less PTSD and there's less inner fragmentation, we actually come to the real learning of how to evolve into like a higher understanding, not full body understanding of ethics. So we become actually better people. We become more ethically aligned. We become more aligned with life and we become more presence, uh, present and presence is seeing and is clarity. So it means 
more and more trauma that we integrate, we simply become more present and we live in the current moment more together. And that's also the birthplace of innovation, of creativity, of insights, of the new world that wants to come through us, to be manifested through us. And so I think the mystical understanding is, first of all, to understand how separate the architecture of separation, and then to see the restoration of trauma creates a restoration of relation. I see more and more that I'm not a separate particle, but I'm actually interrelated with everything. So everything affects me and I affect everything to a certain degree. So that's, that's where responsibility comes in. I love that because the, when you're fragmented and basically absent and run by trauma, we're reacting to situations. But when we integrate those parts, it's like between the stimulus and the expression, we have a choice to respond rather than to react to it. So I think that's a really important point. I'd love to hear some of the results, not necessarily the whole process, but the results of the collective trauma integration process that you've been doing with fairly large groups, which is really amazing in Germany and Israel and around dealing with people, Holocaust survivors and war survivors and slavery. Can you just share a little bit about that process and and how that's going? Yeah, it's, we are working with the principle that an individual is a specific expression of the whole. Mm-hmm. Every one of us is a specific expression of the whole of life. So nobody is ever going to be like you because you are unique, but you are a unique expression of the whole. Mm-hmm. So between you and the whole, that's always interconnected. It's not that there is Michael and then there is the collective. No, the collective and Michael are one system together, but you are expressing specific qualities in your body, in your emotions, through your creativity, through your life, all the work that you have done that are unique to you. But that doesn't mean that you're separate or that I'm separate or anybody is separate. And so that's important because that means that that we are sharing a legacy. So the Holocaust is a shared legacy. Slavery and racism or the Native American genocide or any any other are, that's our shared legacy. So there are many TV sets on the ground of our collective unconscious. Dark, but it doesn't mean that they are not there. The energy is still there, but we are not aware of it because we numbed that part collectively. And now when we do these CTIPs, the collective trauma integration process, we come together, a fairly large group, as you said, and then we do some work to create a certain coherence, a relational safety, a safety in the room, we have attunement exercises, so we we create a coherence field. From a certain level of coherence, we together allow some of the information that is stored on the bottom of the ocean to resurface. And there are ways it's more complex how that works, but our nervous systems allow when we are safe enough to 
a certain portion of that information to surface. So it's kind of, we come together to clean up our common, what I call the common living room of humanity. And so imagine there is the society of the US or the society of Canada or of Germany or of, I don't know, China or anywhere else, Argentina. And when we come together, we say, okay, we will clean up part of the legacy that we as humanity have left for us as the next generations. And we're gonna take care of it. So we come together from a certain level of coherence, some of the content emerges. We start to feel it because somebody needs to re-own that content. It doesn't go away by itself. Just when we wait long enough, it will disappear. No, it's cumulative. It's, it's gonna stay there because it's energy, it's, it's moving. Like the same scenes are still on the TV sets, even if they're 100 years old. And now when we allow that to come up, we re-own it. Somebody needs to feel part of the pain that we inflicted upon each other. But when we do that, we actually need to open our hearts, our emotions, our bodies. So then a certain amount of, of that energy can come up. We, we have ways how to process that. That's also described in the book, the waves that we go through to in order to process that. We let, the, you know, there are different ways of sharing. There are different group exercises we do so that we go through that process of clearing and then we go into an integration process. And the great thing is that I have seen multi, many, many groups going through it and, and many people also coming two or three times. And you can really see how the trigger points in us. So the first time we experience this, it's affecting us very strongly. The second time, it's already less. And the third time, maybe I can already be as a support for the people that go through this process, mm -hmm. not as a facilitator, but I can be more present. I can hold presence for a group because I'm just a little affected anymore. And then I can train and I can maybe become also a facilitator if that's my wish, but that needs it because collective trauma is very complex because we are working with the forces of the collective unconscious. And so I believe that when I saw many of these processes, I understood, wow, we are looking at health way too personalized. And we need to open our awareness that health, even individual health, will benefit a lot from the collective health. There is no just individual health. And we even said it, the Harvard study said, like relationship after 75 years of, of, of studying well-being, what was the number one health factor? Relation, appropriate relation. So like our relational network and environment is an extension, I believe, of our immune system. It, and if that's healthy, so we are also more healthy. And if that's hurt and traumatized, so we are as individuals also suffering. Mm -hmm. So there is no collective or individual. There's only collective and individual belong together and they, they are interdependent. So that's why I believe that the future of healing is moving right now into the collective dimension. We are still going to do all the great work that we do one-on-one, -on -one, which is very important. 
But I believe we are crossing a threshold and we, same as the technology that we are using right now and many, many things, the world becoming a global village and collective vessels for healing, I believe that's going to be the future, how we will take care of collective trauma. And then it's also not so overwhelming because as, a, as one person, I see it has such a mountain of collective pain. How we will ever deal with this? You know, and while we are talking, like in, in Syria here, 300 kilometers from here, we, there are, there's a war raging. So we are creating more trauma there right now yeah. as humanity in different places around the world. But collectively, we have a different processor capacity because we start to realize that we are one big supercomputer and not separate laptops. Mm. I think that's very important. Uh, brilliant. Uh, Thomas, it's just such a privilege and an honor to have you on. And I know our guests will feel the same way. I have to say that reading your book and being around your work has taken me from a mindset of we're screwed to a very big possibility. I don't traffic in hope particularly, but a real possibility is emergent, I think, in this work that you're doing and working with the collective. It's, it's uh, just a joy to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. I really enjoy it and I enjoy our relations. So thank you for having me here. Yes, great. I'll see you soon. Many blessings. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. We Earth Radio is an independently produced program supported by listeners like you. We are committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or listen to any of our past shows, go to our website, welloflight.com. Thank you so much for your commitment to a world that works for all life.